Well, hello, everybody. How y'all doing? Good. I told Lake Norman last weekend that you could buy that armor out in Salt Resource. So just head out there and buy one of those. Well, hey, I'm so glad to be here with you. My name is Michael Singer. Uh, I am one of the pastors here. I'm up at our Lake Norman campus, and I'm part of our teaching team. But before I get into any more, I want to make sure we welcome all of our people that are live streaming. So let me tell you who it is. We have people from the Netherlands, New Jersey, Virginia, Georgia, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Florida, California, New Hampshire, Oregon, North Carolina. Am I, is that Michigan? That's Michigan, right? Ohio, New York, Kansas, and Alabama. Y'all give it up for all the live streamers. Well, hey, as I mentioned, I am part of our teaching team. So if you're new to Freedom House or you're new joining us uh, live online, um, we're glad to have you here. But We do have a teaching team, so that means we have a group of people that teach and share the messages, so we always have a live person at every one of our campuses. So what I love to do is I always love to honor our senior pastors because of the way they lead. They have to handle and do things that you and I have no clue about, and I'm thankful I have no clue about and that I don't have to handle. So let's honor them by giving them a hand clap. Before I get into the message, I just want to reiterate the church fast that's coming up. Uh, If you've never fasted, what a great opportunity to join in. It starts tomorrow, and we'll just go through the week. It'll end on the 14th. And what I love about the 14th is that we have an encounter night of worship here. And so I love what Pastor Stephanie said about this battle and how the people singing went out front. When she said the singers went out front, my last name's Singer, I thought maybe my family was out there. But they were making sewing machines, so they couldn't be there. But the people that were worshiping and singing went out front. And I love the fact that we get to end this fast, just like what you referenced, Pastor Stephanie, so brilliantly, uh, that we get to go out on the 14th. We get to shout a praise and a worship to God to say, God, in my life, in this church, that you are going to be first and you're going to lead the way and something's going to change. That's what it's all about. Fasting is not about stop doing something. It's about to begin doing something, which is engage with God. The fasting part is that find something in your life that is really, that you love and you do a lot that would be a little bit difficult to let go of for a few days and let that go and then replace it with spending time with God, whether it be reading his word, whether it be in prayer, whether it be taking a moment to call other people and just say you're thinking about them and praying for them, be intentional, whatever it is, to connect with God. So fast, join in, do something, and join as a church, and we're gonna celebrate on the 14th. All right, let's get into this series. How many of y'all love the five on five? If you were here last weekend, the five on five to care of the series? I always love the five on five. I heard they, the five people here did wonderful at Lake Norman. It was great. I heard the same thing at South End. But it's always one of my favorite times, and I was glad we got to kick off this series. But I want to get in to what we're talking about today with Paul writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, because that is where we find about the armor of God. And what we need to understand about this letter that Paul's writing is that Paul is currently on house arrest in Rome when he is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a major port city. So it was one of the major port cities actually for the Roman Empire. So you can imagine there was a lot of people in and out. And a group of people that made a pretty good living there were people that were silversmiths. And the reason why, and I talked about this If you were here when we did the Revelation series, I did the Church of Ephesus. I actually referenced all this, but just to recap, 
or, or to bring new information to those that weren't here. These silversmiths made money in Ephesus because they sold these little idols to people because they worshiped the goddess Diana or Artemis in, in uh, Ephesus. And so these silversmiths made good money and counted on people buying all these little figurines so that they could worship these idols. So when Paul first came to Ephesus, you can read about it in Acts, he disrupted the whole economy because he told people about Jesus coming to die for them. They got their lives changed and they set down the idols and they stopped buying the idols and it disrupted everything that was going on with the business. The silversmiths got mad. It's kind of like Krispy Kreme on the first few weeks of January because everybody's made commitments. They're not going to have sugar. And Krispy Kreme is just sad. And I'll give you an example of that. Wednesday mornings, we do our Lake Norman men's Bible study. We do a seven and eight o'clock. I always stop by on my way right here at Concord Mills at Chick-fil-A and Krispy Kreme. I purposefully got a half dozen donuts this time because I knew, like me, there were going to be other people that were going to say no to the donut. I took half a dozen. Do you know how many got eaten? One. And then I did something that was probably one of the saddest things I've done in my life. I threw the donuts away in the garbage. All right, let's get back to the Bible. Oh, boy. Mm. God, forgive me. <laughs> so I love what Paul's doing here when he gets into the armor of God in chapter six. He's basically telling the church of Ephesus, hey, look, this walk with God is not some pansy cake walk. This is a battle. And you are going to battle all these other people, these outside influences try to draw you back into worshiping something other than the true and living God. But here's the great thing. It's a battle, but I'm going to share with you the weapons that we have at our disposal. And so I'm going to read that in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read all of 10 through 17, which is the crux of this entire series. Paul says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not our mighty power. That's a great refreshing thing. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He is scheming. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's not, the battle's not against your cousin or your uncle or your mom or your dad. It's a spiritual battle. Therefore, because it's a spiritual battle, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness, uh, sorry, in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When Paul is writing this and describing that armor that you see in that picture, Paul is describing what he sees right in front of him. Paul has seen Roman soldiers and being on house arrest, he's had a lot of interaction with the palace guards at Rome. But not just him understanding what it looks like for a Roman soldier to, to put all their armor on, but he knows that when he says this to the believers in Ephesus, that they too, being in this major port city of the Roman Empire, they too 
have probably seen Roman soldiers walking around. And so when he's saying it, they get a visual picture of what is going on. You ever had something that you know very well about and somebody's talking about it? You're like, ooh, I know exactly what that looks like because I've seen it and I've known it, I know it and I've worked with it and I've dealt with it. This is what the uh, believers in Ephesus are getting to understand because they know exactly what Paul is talking about. Now, out of all these different pieces of armor, the one I wanna focus on is in verse 15 where it says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, over here, you probably have wondered, why does Michael have shoes on the platform? So these lovely boots right here uh, belong to Jalay. And Jalay rarely wears these boots, and, but she wore them for Christmas Eve. And Jalay told me on Christmas Eve, Michael, my legs and my calves are killing me. I cannot wait to get out of these shoes. Matter of fact, the next day when she got up, she said, my calves are still hurting from these stinking boots. That doesn't sound like peace to me at all. And ladies, God bless you. You get unpeaceful and uncomfortable way more than you all. We appreciate it and it looks great. But dear Lord, the pain that is here to the point where she's like, I will no longer have these. I'm getting rid of them. I don't know what size. That was like a, that was a Krispy Kreme moan right there. My, well, I'll tell you what, I don't know what size shoes you wear, but after the second service, you can have these if you want them. I do need them for the second service. I need them for the second service. Talk to, talk to Jalay, find out what size shoes she wears. These shoes represent pain to me <laughs> and pain to Jalay. Now, these shoes, <laughs> man, these shoes represent comfort. These are Crocs. I know most of y'all know who they are. Comfort, peace, something simple that, these are mine, that I could just slide my feet into, whether I have socks on or not, because you can't, you can't slide on thong flip-flops with socks on, but with these, if I got socks on, I can slide them babies on and head out the door. It's an easy thing to do. If I want something quick, I just pop out and go. I love these Crocs. Now, some of y'all really love your Crocs. You like wear these things all the time, and I think when you put this down, Folks say you put it in four-wheel drive or something like that. I don't know. Shoes are important. Because whatever we're doing, having the right pair of shoes for that thing pays dividends that are huge. Jalay would not take these and go, oh, I got some boots. Let's go hiking on a trip. She ain't going to hike into these even though they're boots. Me? I'm not going to say, y'all ready for that 5K? Let's go run with these Crocs on. I'm not running in Crocs. So when Paul is talking about feet fitted, he is talking about how important the shoes were to the foundation of what the soldiers had to do. The shoes prepared the foundation for what they had to do. Soldiers would have to march on in they would have to go out and fight. Their shoes were actually fashioned from a thicker leather than other shoes. They were almost like a sandal. They laced up and laced up their leg with multiple straps of leather. But the other thing about the shoe was that they were studded through the sole with hobnails. Now, here's what this allowed. It allowed for them to have traction. 
I don't know if you've ever seen track shoes or shoes that have a little stud on them or cleats if you ever play baseball, but it was almost like that so when they were on gravel or on dirt or anything like that, they would have more traction and could actually stand their ground. Here's the very interesting thing about their shoes. Their shoes actually got more comfortable the more that they wore them. Shoes are extremely important. When Paul is talking about all the armor, it's easy to get wrapped up in, oh, the sword, the shield, the helmet. But the shoes are not the least of all of these. The shoes are actually the foundation for everything else. It's kind of hard to swing a sword when your feet hurt so bad you're laying on the ground. It's hard to do that. So shoes are very important. And that's why Paul tells them, hey, make sure that your feet are fitted, that you have on the right shoes Shoes that are ready. Shoes that are ready. And I want to talk about what does it mean to have, to be fitted for the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What does it mean to be fitted and to be ready as we walk out our relationship with God? You know, I think Paul actually is a great example and shows us a lot of things that we can glean and take from what we need to do and how we need to live our life if we are walking with our armor and how to walk in this idea and this level of being ready, that we are ready to go. The first area that we see that Paul shows us is that we have to be ready for uh, service. We have to be ready for service. What I love about Paul and my personal favorite thing about Paul that I see in his life is when you look at Paul in the beginning of him and before he encountered Jesus, he had this great zeal to persecute and actually kill Christians. He was all about it. He would do everything because he felt like it was the right thing to do. But when he had an encounter with Jesus, he never lost that zeal. He had the same zeal to go out and share with the Jews and specifically the people who weren't Jewish. He had that same zeal to say, you know what? I'm going to serve you. I'm going to share the gospel with you. I'm going to tell you about the truth. I love Paul's passion that he had that didn't stop before and after he had this encounter with Jesus. Now, when you read Romans, in the beginning, Paul is sharing with the church in Rome. He's saying, man, I know I told you I'm coming and I'm trying to get there to see you. And I'm extremely excited to come see you because I cannot wait that when I share the gospel, I can't wait for the harvest of people. They're going to give their lives to the Lord. They're going to be converted. And then he says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 15, expressing his readiness to serve. He says, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I love that Paul is excited He's writing down to the church in Rome, I cannot wait to get there because I'm ready to serve God and I'm ready to serve his people and I'm ready to share the gospel so that people's lives can be changed and so that I can see that unfold. The other thing I love about Paul that you read about in the New Testament, Paul was a tent maker and he says at different times that when he would go into these towns that instead of putting and being a burden on the church, he actually would do his job of tent making to make the money to have his needs met so that he wasn't a burden. I love that idea of service. Paul wasn't thinking about what can I get out of this. He was always thinking about what can I give? What can I give to other people? What can I give to God's kingdom? So what does our service look like? How do we serve the people around us? 
How do we serve our neighbors? How do we serve our spouse? How do we serve our kids? Are we serving at this church? If we're a part of this church, are we really serving at this church? Here's what I love about serving. Serving, very simply, in the church, it gives us a direct connection to serving God's kingdom. And I want to challenge you and encourage you. If you've been coming to the central campus for any amount of time, this is your place. I want to challenge you to get involved and serve. When you leave out today, go straight out of that guest central and serve. And here's why. Because if we're going to have our feet fitted with the readiness, part of that readiness, if I have a relationship with God, is that I am serving in his kingdom. The church is the easiest way to serve right into his kingdom because God is about his church. He is about his house. And when we serve his house, then we get the benefits of being able to stand firm with his armor and stand firm with the feet and the shoes that are fitted for the readiness because of the gospel. Not only do we see through Paul that he had a readiness to serve, but he also was ready for suffering. He was ready for suffering. You know, the suffering can be a very uh, difficult topic to deal with. Uh, I think I would, I would probably say specifically in our American culture and our American culture and how we, we sort of work out and, and talk about and, and are believers in this church that is the body of Christ. Sometimes we have a hard time with suffering because God's blessing is there and we want God's blessing. And sometimes it's easy to accidentally get into this transactional mode that if I'm suffering, then I must not be following God. But if I'm great, then everything is great. Why don't you go read Job and see how that plays out? Suffering is something that we are going to have in life. But how difficult it is when somebody says, there can't be a God, or at minimum, how can God be loving if I've suffered and other people have suffered? And I think it's just a misplaced focus when that question is asked. You see, suffering is not about the presence of God. Suffering is about the presence of sin. It's not about the presence of God. They're suffering because there is sin in the world. When you look all the way back in Genesis and you read chapter six, you'll find that God is fed up with human beings. He's tired of our wickedness. And he says, you know what? I'm gonna get rid of all of them. I'm gonna get rid of all the animals. I'm gonna wipe out everything because I'm tired of the wickedness of human beings. However, thank God for Noah. Because it says that he found favor with one man, and his name was Noah. Noah was the guy who built the ark, and the floods came, and just he and his family were saved, and the animals two by two, and all that. When it was done, they came out the ark, and it says Moses offered a sacrifice to God. Chapter 8. It says when God smelled the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice, he made a very strong statement. He said, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Suffering is because of sin. Suffering is because we gave the rights to the enemy to have authority way back in the garden. So we are going to suffer. And Paul shows us that, hey, don't fight against or push away suffering 
be ready to suffer if we're going to be an army, a soldier in the army of God, and we're going to have our feet fitted with readiness. I love um, in Acts chapter uh, 21, Paul has been bouncing around with some of his companions. They're traveling by boat to different places. Along the way, there's somebody that says, hey, man, don't go to Jerusalem. You don't need to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul lands with his companions at Philip's house. And while he's there, there's this prophet that comes from Judea. And this prophet comes up to Paul and he says, he grabs him by the belt and he says, hey man, I'm just letting you know I'm prophesying that there's someone with a belt that's going to go to Jerusalem and is going to be bound and tied up. He basically was telling Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you are going to be bound and tied up and handed over to the Gentiles. Well, everybody there, people in Philip's house, they're all crying, don't go, Paul. We don't want you to go, Paul. Oh my gosh, please don't go, Paul. And I love what he says. This is his response in Acts 21, verse 13. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul said, hey, look, I know that you're telling me there's going to be suffering. But that's what being ready is all about. That's what walking as a soldier in the army of God, that's what having a relationship with God is all about. That I know that what I'm about to step in, I have a purpose that's bigger than what I'm sharing about and everybody's gonna like and I might have to suffer a little bit at the hands of other people. But I'm ready. I'm ready to be bound and I'm ready to be killed. The great thing about suffering that sometimes we easily miss out on because we focus on the suffering is we miss out on the great jewels of teaching that God wants to show us. There is so much stuff that God is trying to work in and out of us that a lot of the times I've found in my life, he tends to work a lot of things out of me through suffering. And he tends to inject some good stuff in me after I get through the suffering as I realize that he's a part of the suffering with me. That's what Job's story is all about. Our Lake Norman Bible study, men's group, 7 a.m., we went through all the book of Job, and one of the themes that we talked about was that the book of Job kind of chronologically sits before you hear about Abraham in the Bible. And so when you read Job, Job is really a story about how God is changing the people's mindset from a transactional God to a God is relational. But I love the fact that God said Job is the most righteous person that is walking the face of the earth. So Satan, you go ahead and give him your best. But I know that he loves me more and you're going to fail. Could God say that about me or you? Could he say Michael's the most righteous person? My wife would say no, he can't say that. But he says this about Job. If anybody's doing anything right, it is Job. But do you know when you read through Job, you learn and realize that there's still something God is trying to work out of Job so that he can do something more in Job. That is the beauty of suffering. If we allow God in those moments, if we allow God in our thoughts, if we allow God to take a hold of our emotions and we follow him, when we're ready with suffering, that is when we can learn and grow and draw close to him more than any other time in our life. We have to be ready for service, ready for suffering. But the other thing that we see with Paul is that he was ready for sacrifice, ready for sacrifice. Now, sacrifice, I believe, is a little different than suffering. Uh, Sacrifice is a willing choice to die to myself in a situation. Now, there might be suffering, suffering with that, 
but it's a willing choice to die to myself. We got this fast coming up. It's a great picture of what it means to make a willing choice to die to myself and sacrifice. Jalea and I uh, last week started doing this liver detox. And with this liver detox, uh, I'll just make it easy for you. There's a lot of things you can't eat that I love. We were at my daughter's gymnastics meet yesterday. And Jalea and I came close to beating this guy up. Not to take his money, not to take his car, but to take the hot pretzel he had in his hand. That's suffering. That's a very trivial example of what suffering is. But we understand that that, that sacrifice that we make sometimes will have some suffering, but it is that willing choice to say, you know what? I'm going to die to myself. Romans 12 makes it very plain. If we are a believer and we love God and we have a relationship with him, when you read Romans 12, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What that means is that when we're strapping on the armor of God, we have to have a foundation that is willing to die to ourselves as we march and fight. When we're putting on that armor, we have to be willing and know that I have a foundation that's so strong, I'm willing to walk out. And as I walk out and march and as I fight with this armor on, part of that involves the readiness that comes with sacrifice and dying to myself. Paul described this kind of at the end of his time He's talking to Timothy, who he's trained up and raised up to be a leader. And he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. Paul's saying, look, with my life, I did everything I could to be a sacrifice that's poured out on the altar of God to give of of myself and put myself aside and to make sure that I looked and saw God first and his kingdom first and also other people before I saw myself. I've talked about what it looks like to be fitted with readiness, ready to serve, ready to suffer, and ready to sacrifice. But our ability to walk in readiness that we see in this verse only comes from our ability to embrace and find life in the gospel of peace. So what is the gospel of peace? It's a great question. If we're to be fitted with the readiness that is found in the gospel of peace, it's extremely important that we understand what the gospel of peace is so that we can walk in that readiness. Romans chapter five, verses one through two, leading up to this, Paul is really trying to set out to the Roman believers that, hey, a lot of Gentiles, he's like, hey, look, it's by faith we're saved. It's by faith we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's by faith. And then he says this in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. I love that word stand. Remember, shoes create the firm foundation so we can stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. The gospel of peace is simply the fact that Jesus came and died for you and me. And he created a pathway to have relationship with God again. He created a way that we can move past every evil desire in our heart and God forgive us for our sins and be in right relationship and be able to connect with God once again. That is what the gospel of peace is because when that happens, it brings a peace. And if you're in here and you've ever made that decision, 
You might not feel at peace right now, but I can guarantee you that moment you made that decision, you felt peace. I know I did. It doesn't matter what the days were like past, but when I look back and I think about the decision I made because of what Jesus did, and I can only have that through him, there's a peace. Sometimes I have to stop and remind myself and say, God, I know how good you are. I've felt it. I've seen it. I know the peace that you bring, and that provides a hope. I love how Jesus reiterated this to his disciples when he was walking here talking about how important it is that they find this peace and that it's through him. And in John 16, he's talking to them and he's basically sharing with them a lot of things that don't sound good. He's telling them, hey, you're going to be put out of the synagogues. You're going to be killed. And when you're killed, it's going to be seen as though people are serving God when they kill you. He said, hey, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. So there's a little bit of hope injection. Hey, I'm going, but there's one coming that's better and greater and going to comfort and help. And it's the Holy Spirit and he's going to speak from God. But then he also said, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but one day your grief will turn to joy. And then he says, hey, matter of fact, y'all are with me right now, but you're all going to be scattered. and I'm going to be left by myself. And then he says this in John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things. I've told you a lot of stuff that sounds really bad. So that in me, you may have peace. So that in me, you may have peace. It is through what Jesus did that we find access to peace. In this world, you will have trouble guaranteed. We're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus understood that we're not going to find peace anywhere in the world. No matter how great of a job we had, no matter how much money we make, no matter how good relationships we have, the world is going to bring trouble, but he overcame the world. He beat it. (laughs) He knocked it out. We don't have to deal with it anymore. If we choose a relationship with him, I love how Jesus bringing peace, known as the Prince of Peace, introducing us to the King of Peace and God is all throughout the Bible. If you will, stand to your feet with me. In our Bible study, we've been now reading Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 14, There's this battle between four kings versus five kings. And these four kings win and they're just plundering and taking everything. And this is the beginning of Abraham's life when he's still called Abram before his name has been changed. And he has a nephew named Lot. They've split off and they're going their own separate ways. But after this battle and these four kings defeated these other kings, these four kings were pillaging and taking everything and taking people's stuff and taking people with them in captivity. And Lot was taken. Abraham found out he went and killed all those armies and those kings and he brought Lot back. And when he came back, there were two kings that came to meet him. There was the king of Sodom and then there was this guy by the name of Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek is only mentioned one of the time in the Old Testament and he just seems to pop out of thin air. Like the king of Sodom and these other people, they're talking about, like all of a sudden he comes back and you haven't heard nothing about this king, Melchizedek, but you hear about him in this moment. No history of his lineage, nothing. Hebrews reminds us about him. And it actually says that Melchizedek was a type of Jesus Christ because back in those days, a lot of the kings were also priests, 
But it, it says in Genesis, and it says in Hebrew, that Melchizedek, he was the priest to God Almighty. Do you know his name actually means king of righteousness? <laughs> but what I love, do you know the town, the place he was king of? He was king of Salem. Salem is what we know as Jerusalem now. But you know what Salem means? Peace. He was the king of peace. You see, God has been introducing peace to us all throughout his scripture. He's been telling us that this guy who is a type of Jesus is the king of peace, but I'm going to bring one who's going to bring peace to everyone if they choose. If you will, close your eyes with me. I just want to ask you a question. How has walking in your life been? Do you feel like you have peace? Do you feel like you're ready to serve? Do you feel like you're actually ready if suffering comes? Are you ready when it comes to sacrificing and doing something bigger and greater and more than what we could do ourselves, giving of ourselves up? I'm here to tell you it's simple. Jesus came to create a bridge so that we can have peace and hope in God. But we have to choose to walk that bridge. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, I just simply want to ask you, why are you going to wait longer? Why don't you just let this new year be a year where you remember in 2023, that is where I met the King of Peace. That is where my life was changed forever. If that's you today and you don't have a relationship, I just want you to slip your hand up and say, I want that. I'm tired of walking in pain. I want peace. I see your hand in the back. I see your hand, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand up. Once you've raised it, you can put it down. I want to say a prayer. And I want everybody in here to join in after me. Say this loud where you can hear yourself. If you raised your hand, I definitely want you to say this loud. And we're all going to join in. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, God, I love you. And I thank you that you gave us the gospel of peace. That is, Jesus died and was raised from the dead so that I could have a relationship with you. I thank you for it and help me because of that relationship to walk fitted with readiness in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.